This morning, we have the privilege of hearing the Word of God from our brother and friend who uh, works as a ministry resident. Uh, his name is uh, Luke Berlin, and God has he's been he's under care in our presbytery. He is training for the ministry. He's been re- his gifts have been recognized by our, uh, our by other churches and people in our area, and so he will be giving the word uh, this morning. So I ask that you would give him your attention. In your hearts, and if you're encouraged by the word that he gives you, would you encourage him back uh, afterward? But today, uh, in Advent, we will join with the saints who heard these words from Matthew chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty-five. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Um, I am indeed very excited to share the Word of God with you here this morning. Um, and like Ben said, my name is Luke. But for those of you uh, who don't know me, I would love to meet you at some point after church. Uh, so come say hi if I don't find you first. But back in 2016, uh, I had just moved to Ukraine and was starting a two and a half year term there as a missionary. Now, it was a sweltering summer day, and I was about to celebrate my first holiday away from home, my favorite holiday, the 4th of July. Um, that's kind of a weird one to celebrate in a former Soviet country, but, you know, I wanted to celebrate it anyways. So I went to the store, and I was so proud of myself because this is my first day in a new apartment, mind you. I was so proud of myself. I was able to find ground beef in a foreign language that didn't look too bad. I was able to find cheese. It was imitation cheddar cheese because that was the only one that I could kind of read. It was, like, written in Russian cheddar, not like, you know, any of the other ones I couldn't recognize. I found, like, you know, salad stuff. I found tomatoes. I found bread. And I was, like, all ready to make my own kind of little, like, Fourth of July thing with kind of the whole mac and cheese deal, a little picnic, you know. I, was, I had just finished a week-long spell at a sports camp, so I was really, really physically tired as well. I'd been playing rugby all week. I was white. I was so ready to just kind of have, like, an introverted night alone to myself, you know. I was going to, you know, make my food. I was going to, like, set into the, settle into, like, the big chair. And I was going to watch the greatest Fourth of July movie of all time, Independence Day. Now, you Mel Gibson fans who like The Patriot, I don't want to hear it. Independence Day is the best Fourth of July movie of all time. So I'm settling in. I'm, I'm you know, eating my food. It tastes like freedom, you know what I mean? And I'm just watching this movie, and I start to hear, like, the keys kind of, like, dangling in my lock. Now, I did have a roommate, but the day before, when I had moved, you know, from the one city to the other, I had seen him, I had talked to him. He was going to be gone for a week. 
So now picture this. Uh, American guy celebrating an American holiday, watching an American film in a 1950s communist apartment, hearing the doors like rattling. I'm like, did he be here? You know, like, what's about to happen? So I'm like, I'm like, I'm like a little nervous. I'm sitting upright, and, and you know, I hear the door, you know, kind of swing open, and I kind of yell out in like this shaky Russian voice, Nasha, is that you? And I hear back in a just as shaky English voice, not Sasha, but Philly. I didn't know anyone named Philly. So I go to investigate. So this is our entire conversation verbatim. Hi, I'm Luke. This is my home. Hi, I'm Vasily. And now I knew that was the end of the conversation because he started to take off all of his clothes. He drifts down to nothing, throws his clothes in my washing machine, and gets into my shower. This evening was not at all turning out like I had expected. Now, I would like to raise this point with you this morning that many of you have also had this silly moment. Now, I don't mean like a Russian taking a shower, you know, and doing his laundry at your house who you weren't expecting. I mean that you have had a moment where there was an experience where you expected something to be one way and it turned out completely different. Not just different than you were expecting, but different than you could ever imagine. So if there were ever a year, I think, where it would be right for us to talk about unmet expectations, 2020 would probably take the cake, huh? Um, you know, we live in this COVID world, and none of us have to look far to feel the weight and the pain of an unmet expectation in our lives. I know that some of you sitting here this morning, and some of you who are joining us online, were not able to spend Thanksgiving in, uh, with your family, and you were not expecting to spend your Thanksgiving here in Colorado Springs. Unmet expectations can be really, really painful and hard. You know, maybe despite everything, though, this year you're still an optimist. You expect that things will get better when we get a vaccine or when X, Y, or Z happens in your life. And this morning I want us to see from this text in Matthew how Jesus is the one who fills our expectations. However, in order for that to be realized in our lives, we have to A, two points on here, I'm not going Trinitarian, I'm not doing the three things, two points. A, we check our expectations at the door. And B, we refocus our expectations in Christ. So first, we check our expectations at the door. So let's take a look at the characters in our text this morning. Now, I would imagine that Joseph had a few expectations when it came to getting married and starting a family. He probably expected to be the father of all of his kids. He probably expected that his betrothed would not be pregnant before they were married. He probably expected that he would be able to be one with his wife on their wedding night. He probably also expected that his betrothal would end when it was discovered that Mary was pregnant, that we see that even in the text. And he expected the societal shame of being betrothed to a pregnant woman that he never knew, right? But what does Joseph get? Not only does he not get any of the things he was expecting, but he gets an angel from the Lord. Let's take a closer look at what the angel says. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What's being said here? God is basically telling Joseph to check his expectations at the door because God is doing something beyond what Joseph could have imagined. In addition to all those expectations about family, Joseph would have had some expectations of the first century Jewish man. He, along with all of Israel, were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting a promised king who would save Israel. Now, everyone in Israel was expecting the salvation to be geopolitical. As a nation, that was their biggest and most important daily issue. You know, for us, this last year has been all about coronavirus, how COVID has changed every aspect of our way of life, and how we long for the day when this is no longer a part of our lives. 
That's how it was for the Jewish nation with the Romans. They were longing for the day when they would be out from under the fist of the Romans. In fact, being under enemy control had been a part of the daily life of the Jewish people for 700 years. 700 years. Now imagine if we had COVID for 700 years, right? If we had to wear masks for 700 years. But not only that we had to wear masks, but that COVID, as a person, would come and knock on our doors and maybe beat us up, maybe throw us in prison, maybe like pull even more money from our bank account than we could have ever, you know, hoped to have given. It's already kind of doing that. But imagine that for 700 years and you're kind of getting a picture of what Israel was facing under the Romans. I would like to, you know, raise before you maybe the point that um, if Katy Perry had lived back then, she would have written a song lyric um, about Israel's oppression over the last 700 years. It went something like, you know, you change oppressors like a girl changes clothes. Like, this was like constant for Israel. It had been like in their lives, in their grandparents' lives, in their great-great-grandparents' lives for the last 700 years, and they were ready to be free of it. But in any angel's message, even this expectation is checked. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see what he's saying? What God's saying? He's saying that the son, the son that's going to be born, is the promised king, the great savior of all Israel. But what does he say that Jesus is going to save them from? The Romans? No. He says he's going to save them from their sins. He's not going to save them from their perceived biggest problem, but God is identifying the thing that they need most, and He is not going to be the Savior. Well, He is going to be the Savior they expected, but He's not going to save them from the thing they're expecting to be saved from. His salvation was going to be totally different than what they expected. They expected a king to save them from the Romans, solving all of their problems, but what they got was Emmanuel saving them from all their sins. Now, it's easy for us you know, here in the 21st century, to look back at this 2,000 years removed and say, yeah, Jesus did it. He saved them from our sins. And it's even possible for us to see how that promise kind of applies to us in like a tangible, logical sense. But it begs the question of us, what are we expecting from a Savior? Or better yet, what are you expecting to save you? Maybe I could phrase it a little bit differently. What are you expecting to take away all the pain of life and give you the fullest life possible. Our expected saviors can often fall into three categories. Romantic love, power, and money. For many of us, romance and sex is all about how we deal with the pain of life. In particular, we expect it to save us from our loneliness. This expectation for romance and for sex to save us from our loneliness changes our behavior. We make compromises we never thought we'd make in order to not be alone have that feeling of being wanted and desired. Additionally, we turn to power to save us. We feel like we don't measure up, so we position ourselves at work, or in our friend group, or on social media, or in our extracurriculars, or even with our health, in such a way as to seem in control, and like we have it all together. We like feeling better than other people. Feeling less than makes us feel out of control and ashamed. We hate that shame. I don't like feeling ashamed. Feeling ashamed is awful. So we manipulate and we're passive aggressive and we put others down and we force ourselves to be perfect in order to maintain control, maintain control over our own lives. We look at money to save us from our insecurity. 
We expect that money will save us from this feeling of inadequacy. Money is a measuring stick for sufficiency and for self-sufficiency. And that self-sufficiency equals security. Financial security then becomes our ultimate goal, and we kill ourselves, and we neglect others in order to make enough to feel safe. Now, to use for the first time of incism, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that romance and sex are bad things. I'm not saying that being a leader at work or among your friends or being healthy or seeking excellence in your life is a bad thing. I'm not saying money is a bad thing. But what I am saying is they all make terrible saviors and they cannot bear up under the weight of our expectations. All of these things will leave us enslaved and none of them will truly set us free from the oppression that we face and that we feel and the weight that we put on ourselves or on others that they were never meant to bear. If you're looking for a romantic partner um, or for the perfect friend group or for your children or for the perfect workout or money or for health to be the thing that saves you from your loneliness, shame, and jacked up sense of worth, then you will crush yourself and you will crush others and you will ruin your relationships. I know. I've done it. So what do we do? Where does this leave us? Where do we place our hope? What can we expect to truly save us instead of free? This passage calls us not only to check our expectations, but to refocus them. Now, if you use it for a second time, don't hear what I'm not saying. The refocusing that I'm talking about is not a lowering of our expectations, but a raising of them. Placing them on something higher than what we were placing them on before. Something that can actually bear their weight. Now, when God does something, it obligates a response from us. Let's look back at the text, okay? The angel tells Joseph to name the child Jesus. This is significant. Jesus is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Jehovah is Savior. Now, if you, you know, went to Sunday school back in the day, you know this, but if you didn't, Joshua was the one who, after Israel was free from Egypt, led Israel to geopolitical dominance in Canaan, in the region that Israel currently resides in. So that's maybe what you're, they would be expecting when they hear this. That's what, what might have shot through Joseph's mind when he hears, um, here comes Joshua, or Jesus, Israel's great Savior. And he probably assumed that, again, that Jesus would be this geopolitical Savior that all of Israel was expecting. So like the first Joshua, led geopolitical dominance to the, in the region, so too would Jesus. But you only have to look at his next words, at the end of his next words, to see that this isn't going to be the case. Jesus is going to save his people from a far greater oppressor than the Romans. He's going to be the one who's going to save his people from their sins. What's more, he would be Emmanuel, God with them. So said literally, when the angel says, Jesus is going to, you're going to name him Jesus, he's going to be Emmanuel, the angel is saying that he is going to be your salvation from sin, who is going to be God with you. But what does this mean for us? What does this look like practically now that Jesus has saved us from our sins? Well, it means first that we're to be encouraged. We're to be encouraged in the security of this salvation. Notice the angel doesn't say, how is name Jesus because he's going to give saving his people his best shot? He's going to give it a go. No, he didn't say that. He says he will save his people from their sins. It's not something that might happen. It's something that will happen. It's like an assurance. You can be sure that this will happen. 
This is a great encouragement to us today. Because all, since all of our checked expectations are self-salvation projects that never really work, we often can get flighty with them. So if one doesn't work, we give something else a try. How often have we moved or changed jobs or changed hobbies or diets or, or friends or dating apps? How often have we changed our habits or even looked forward to the new year saying, this is the fresh start that I need? What are we really saying in that? We're saying that this is the thing that's really going to work to correct the nagging feeling in my soul that leaves me unsatisfied. But God is telling us that there's a greater hope. God is telling us that there is one thing that will leave us truly satisfied. That the one expectation for salvation that can bear up under the weight, that thing that you and I can expect with absolute surety is that Jesus is who he said he was. That he has saved us from our sin and that God is with us. How do we know this? Through the resurrection. The resurrection confirms this. This is why it's right to expect of Jesus that one day all the bad things will come untrue. But even now, He's binding our wounds, and in Him we find healing for all the broken places in a world of hurt, pain, and oppression. Now, in one of my favorite children's books, The Voyage of the Don Treader, the crew of the ship, well, the ship is named the Don Treader, that, that, that'll help. The crew of the ship, the Don Treader, has discovered the land where nightmares come true. This land is surrounded by a darkness that even the light of the eastern sun cannot penetrate. And once the crew discover the horrors of the place, they try to raise double time to get out. But the trip that took them five minutes getting in is now taking over twice that time of rowing in the opposite direction to get out, and they are not seeing even a shred of light. They start to lose it. They're in a desperate attempt to be safe with no evidence they're ever going to make it back. The sailors are seeing and hearing their worst nightmares come true all around them. One hears the sound of scissors opening and closing. Another sees the indescribable horror of a creature that seemed to settle on the mast and haunt the ship. One sailor cries, we shall never get out. And the rest take up the cry, we shall never get out, we shall never get out. But even in all of her fear, in all of the darkness, in all of the crying and screaming and hopelessness, Lucy, one of the characters in the story, closes her eyes and prays this prayer. Aslan, Aslan, if ever you love us, send help now. Moments after praying, a speck of light enters the darkness and it's an albatross. The albatross circles the ship and swings low over the deck and as it swings low, Lucy hears these words, courage to your heart. The captain follows the albatross out and in a few moments the darkness melts into sunlight. And as they look behind them, they see that the darkness has been destroyed. That's what the coming of Jesus means to us. It means darkness destroyed. Even in a world where COVID regulations change every week, and the pain of not being with our loved ones, and not being able to celebrate the good things of life together is so real. Even in that world where we feel lonely and out of control, without work, the coming of Jesus is God whispering ever so sweetly and softly in our ears. Take courage to your heart. I am Jesus Emmanuel. I am your Savior who is with you. Brothers and sisters, we need to turn to Him. We need to place our expectations in Him. That's why in such a world as this, in all the unmet expectations of life, we can rejoice. We can rejoice in our future and our current hope and live and wait in a state of healthy expectation because Jesus has come to lead us out of darkness and into his glorious light. 
Now, what does that waiting expectation look like? It's not passive. It's active. We, again, only have to look to the text to see this. That the refocusing of our expectations should lead us into a life of missional obedience wherever God has placed us. Let's look again at what the angel says to Joseph and what Joseph does. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. We've heard that so many times that I think we miss the subtlety of what's happening here. The refocusing of Joseph's expectations looked like this. Simple obedience. He takes his wife, the very thing that he was not planning on doing. He knows her not, which is you know, pretty unheard of, to not be with your wife, you know, as one for the first several months of your marriage. And then he names a child that is not his, a name that he was not expecting to give, one that he didn't choose himself. He named him Jesus. It's staggering, the obedience. But it's so simple at the same time. And it's the same for us. Refocusing our expectations re, uh, pushes us into uh, the fact that we are free from sin. It's a reminder of that. It reminds us that we're free from sin. And that we're free from the need to prove ourselves to God or to others, or even to prove ourselves to ourselves. Because we know that Jesus is the Savior from our sin. Because we know that He is the salvation that we truly need. It gives us the freedom to live a life of simple service and obedience. It looks like reading our Bibles. It looks like singing songs of truth. Not just on Sundays, but to ourselves throughout the week. It looks like working hard at work because we know that our work will never truly keep us safe. We're free from that. It looks like loving our family, loving our friends, caring for one another. Not to gain anything for ourselves, but because we know that we have been given everything. It means joining a cohort group or a city group, getting involved in a Bible study, so that we can better learn to share the hope of our expectation with those who have no hope. Yeah, we do live in a broken world. And it's full of unmet expectations that leave us feeling hurt and sad and broken. But living in the hope of expectation gives us the freedom to mourn the sad things, the hard things, the broken things. One of my favorite artists, Lecrae, puts it like this. He says in one of his songs called Cry For You, Hear a broken man tell you healing happens, and hear a liar tell you truth to bring you gladness. I can never boast in my accomplishments. I can only hope in God with confidence. Brothers and sisters, let us hope in God with confidence. That in His coming, that in His being Jesus Emmanuel, our deepest needs are met and our deepest expectations are fulfilled. He is the one who leads us out of darkness and into light. He is the Savior we need, and He will come again to make all things new. This gives us the ability to go into the week singing the songs we sang this morning. That we can sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, Born to Set Thy People Free. From our sins and fears release us. Let us find our rest in Thee. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for being our Savior. Thank You for being with us for being the God who knows what we truly need. Father, thank you for challenging us in our expectations and for giving us the confidence and the ability to live a life of hopeful obedience because we know that you are making all things new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.